One thing that uh, Jamie and I uh, have tried to do with our children is instill the importance of morality, uh, making sure that they know right from wrong. And I think this is something that most parents try to do. Uh, we, we want them to know, you know, that stealing and that cheating and that lying are all wrong, like we should not be practicing those things. But we don't just teach them the wrong things, we also want to teach them the right things to do, like have manners, right? Say please and thank you, uh, to listen well, to be kind, uh, to share their things, to obey the rules, and we do this because we want our kids to be good, right? We want them to be a good part of society and, and help out society and those types of things. Now, whether you're religious or not, this is the desire of all parents, I believe. And, and it's that way because God has instilled that on our heart to be good, right? We know that God is good. And since God is good, then we assume that he wants us to be good. And since we are trying to be good and we think that God is good, therefore our way into heaven is through our goodness. We then tend to believe that because we are good, we will get to go to heaven when we die. And we hear this all the time because most people believe that heaven is where all the good people go. Because that is the heart of God, right? If you're good, you'll go to heaven. Our culture today thinks that our morality is our ticket into heaven. And I would even argue that many of us here in church this morning or watching online hold strong to our morals, thinking that our morality is what is most important to God. But what we're going to see this morning in the book of Romans, so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up, book of Romans, chapter 2. What we're going to see is that there is a big problem with morality. So if you were here last week, we saw Paul giving us the clearest picture of the gospel, and in order for Paul to do that, he must give us the bad news before we see the good news and understand the good news. So Paul clearly portrayed in, in Romans chapter 1 our fallenness and our depravity uh, and, and, and the depravity of mankind, showing us the downward spiral of man and how hopeless that uh, we are and our desire to, to fill our life with everything other than God, the God who created us. Paul is clearly letting us know our desperate need for Jesus in chapters one, two, and three of Romans. Because without him, we remember that we deserve wrath. Now, you would think that last week would have been enough. Like Paul, easy, right? We got it. We are sinful, we deserve God's wrath, we can move on to the good news. But that's not the case. Paul continues to build this argument against man in chapter two. Now, chapter one ended with a list of sins, a list of all the bad things that bad people do. And after hearing this list, Paul knew his readers well, 
right? He knew that his readers would be going, yeah, Paul, yeah, amen, preach it, Paul. You are right. You tell those people how bad they are. He knew that's what was going on in their heart. He anticipated that response. Right, but this was the attitude of the first century Jew. They thought that since they had the Ten Commandments and they told themselves that they had obeyed all of them, that Paul wasn't talking about them. Paul was talking about these other people, those bad people. So he anticipated this response. Many people today, right, we are tempted to respond this way, thinking, you know what? I'm a good person. I'm not like those people over there and those terrible things that they do. So this morning, Paul shows us the problem with morality. And the first thing that we're going to see is that morality is hypocritical. Read with me verse 1, chapter 2 of verse 1. It says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you... The judge practiced the very same thing. Now, who is Paul talking to? Uh, take that, that word, oh man, or those words, oh man, right? It's an Old Testament statement that addresses the Jews. But he's not just singling out the Jews here. He's saying, but everyone who judges. So right off the bat, Paul places us all in the same boat. Remember, when you see therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to ask, what's it? Therefore, right? So it's therefore because he listed out the sins and the actions of sinful people in verses 18 through 32 in chapter 1. So now, using the same words that he uses to describe those people, verse 20, he says, you are without excuse. Now he's connecting us all together. Therefore, O oh man, you who judge, you Jewish moral people, you are without excuse. Excuse. He places us all in the same boat. Now, let me ask this. Who here likes to be called a hypocrite? I don't see any hands, right? We don't like to be called hypocrites. But this is what Paul is doing. What makes someone a hypocrite? Look in the verse. It says, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. This is hypocrisy. You judge other people, but you don't live up to the same standards that you place on them. And therefore, Paul says, then you condemn yourself. Let's continue reading verses 2 through 5. It says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. All those sins, we know that, judge, that God's judgment rightly falls on them. But do you suppose, O oh man... That you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So let's look where Paul goes with this. Basically saying, do you think that just because you are a good moral person, you can point out the sins of all the others 
and make them carry the weight of that sin on themselves while you yourselves are acting and doing the same things that they are? Do you think that you can escape God's judgment? Read verse five with me again. But because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is one of the scariest verses in scripture. See, Paul is telling them, because you have no shame for your actions, impenitent, that's what that means. You have no shame for your actions, living as if you have no need to repent. What are you doing? You're storing up wrath on yourself. You're, you've set up a bank account, a savings account, an account set aside to build up God's wrath against yourself. That's not good news. All of that wrath will then be revealed on the day of judgment. Just think about that. There will be a day when each one of us individually will have an opportunity to stand before the holy God. And all of our actions, every word that we've spoken, every thought that we have had will be played back before God. And we will stand hopeless before him. See, God knows the real version of you and me, and that's what he's going to judge. Let's, let's try to put a picture in our head. Ancient Greek theater, the actors were called hypocrites. They were called hypocrites because they would use masks to change their identity. I want us to think, how many masks do we wear when we walk into church, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to Walmart. We all put on this mask to make us look holy when we walk into church, right? Pastor Derek always says, screw on your halo a little bit tighter, right? But we wear these masks, we're, we're good, we're really good at fooling one another. Really good at fooling people at church, fooling our friends, fooling our family. But God cannot be fooled. He will not be fooled. He knows our true identity. He knows everything that's going on in here. And so when we stand before God, he's not going to judge by the mask that we have on, by the exterior. But he's going to judge the true self. The truth is... We're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites in one way or another. I mean, one of the most difficult things for me to do is to stand on this stage because I know it too well. I know my sinful life. I know my sinful actions. And so you can look up here and go, Jonathan, stop pointing your finger at us. And I go, I'm not. I'm pointing three back at me. It's a It's a warning. Right, we're all hypocrites. But thankfully, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in your life to point out the hypocrisy in your life. And you can turn from it and then turn and praise God for the salvation that you have in Jesus. Give you an example, right? I'm a great driver. Everybody else is terrible, 
right? Because when I need to get somewhere, the person in front of me is always going too slow. But man, if I'm enjoying my time on the road and enjoying my Sunday drive, the person behind me better stop tailing me because I'm going the speed limit. I'm holy. I know none of you struggle with that. I know none of, us, none of you guys struggle with that. But that is hypocrisy. And our hypocrisy plays out in so many different ways. I mean, we watch movies and television, right? And we condemn, you know, the people that sleep around with everybody. But yet then when we watch it on TV, we laugh at it. We condemn homosexuality. But look past verses that talk about greed and slanderers. If you read the rest of it, we all end up those who practice homosexuality and greed and slanders end up as those who do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. James 3, 9 says, it's with your tongue that you praise God. But then you also curse people that are made in the likeness of God. That's hypocrisy. So the point is this. Morality is hypocritical. We're not as good as we think that we are. We have all kinds of hidden sins. So Paul's question to us is, do you really think you're good enough for God? Do you really think he's going to let you into heaven because you are good? All we are doing is storing up God's wrath for the day of judgment where our true morality will be, explode, be exposed the second problem with morality that we see here is that morality is insufficient. Keep reading with me in verses six through eight. It says, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath. And fury. Paul reminds us that we will be judged by our works. But now track with me. This, this can get kind of confusing, right? We are saved by faith and not by works. And we'll make that very clear as we continue to dive deeper into Romans. But faith produces a lifestyle of good works that reflects Jesus Christ. Right? We won't be saved because of our good works. We will be saved because of what Jesus did in us and for us in making us good. So Paul is telling us that if we try to get into heaven based on our own goods, it won't work. It's impossible. But that's what so many people believe. If you're just good enough God will let me in. And for some reason, people want God to have these, these giant scales that weighs the good against the bad, hoping that the good outweighs their bad. But we've already seen, right, in, in, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22 through 32, that we are all sinners. We are the ones that are self-seeking and unrighteous. Therefore, we all deserve the wrath of God. And he continues this same idea in verses 9 through 11. 
except for he adds the Jew first and then also the Greek. Now, why does he do that? This addresses the main group of people that, that Paul is speaking to, the Jewish people. Because the Jews saw themselves as the moral people, the moral police. And they believed that they were superior then to everyone else. Because they lived a better life, they thought, than everyone else. But Paul points out that the gospel came first to the Jew because of their heritage. And so because of your heritage, because you got the gospel first, judgment is also coming in that order. Judgment is coming first. But it's going to be a judgment on the same basis, on the same level as the Gentiles. There's no special treatment or, or, or get out of jail free pass, right? The judgment is the same on sin and hypocrisy. And we know this because verse 11, it says, for God shows no partiality. God is not going to play favorites. So this is the second problem with morality. It's insufficient. It's not enough right? You are trying to measure yourself up against a holy God, a holy, perfect, righteous God. And if you try to use the scales, they're, they're not going to hold, right? Because your good things are often bad because they're done with sinful motives. No one is good enough for heaven because no one is really good. And we'll get to that in a couple weeks, look what you have forward, look forward to. And this is why it's so hard then for a good moral person to be saved. I mean, let's be honest. There are times when we, believers, right, we want to lean on the good stuff that we've done for God. We want to trust our own goodness. The Bible calls that self-righteousness. Self-righteousness says, hey, I work hard. I do good things. I've done my best. So I deserve God's love. Now, back when Jesus walked on the earth, the people who thought that way were called Pharisees. And it's likely that most of us sitting in this church have a little Pharisaicalism in us. So now, just, just to make sure that we are all on the same page. Morality is not bad. Morality is not a bad thing. Being good is good. The problem comes when you think that your morality or our morality is good enough to save us. And then the danger comes when we become deceived by goodness. Did you hear that? The danger comes when we become deceived by goodness and forget that we are all sinners. So the pro final problem then with morality is that it brings judgment. Read with me verses 12 through 13. It says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. 
So Paul brings in a word that we're going to hear a lot of in the book of Romans, and that is this word, the law. Right? The law is, is, is a set of commandments, uh, of rules that God gave to the nation of Israel. We call it today the Old Testament. And here, Paul brings up two groups. The first group is those who have sinned without the law, and those are the Gentiles. The second group are those who have sinned under the law, and those are the Jews. Now, how does Paul describe both of these groups? in this text. He describes both of them as sinners. And this is important, all right? So pay attention. Because the Jewish people thought that they were all that in a bag of chips because they had the law, right? They thought that they were good with God. They had great standing with God because they simply had the law. And they thought the Gentiles acted the way that they acted because they didn't have any rules to follow. They didn't have the law. But Paul sets them straight. Follow with me in verses 14 through 16. He says, for when Gentiles do not have the law, by nature they do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, what we talked about earlier, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Even though the Gentiles do not have the law, they know it. How? Because it's written on their heart. That's all of us. Whether you're good or bad, no matter where you come from, no matter what religious background uh, you have. We all know right from wrong. It's part of being made in the image of God. And we feel it in our conscience. And yet we choose to do wrong. We choose to constantly go against God. So here's Paul's point. On judgment day, all of us, We'll stand on level ground. We'll be all in the same place. None of us will have an advantage. Whether you're good or bad, had the Bible memorized or made your own law, attended church or stayed at home on Sundays. None of us have better standing before God on our own. But see, this is the thing. There will be a lot of people that will try, that will try to stand before God and present their good deeds. Some will even call themselves Christians and will attempt to stand on their morality. Look at all the good that I have done, God. Look at all that I've done on your behalf. And they will expect to hear, well done. Come on in. The pool is right over there. But the truth is actually here where Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 23. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? God, look, look at all this great stuff that we have done for you in your name. Jesus says, 
and I will, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is devastating news. That is terrible news. But the reality is this. Hell is filled with people who thought they were good, moral people. Heaven is filled with people who knew that they were not good, moral people. Heaven isn't filled with good people. Heaven is filled with saved people. Let that hit home. Heaven's not filled with good people. Heaven is filled with saved people. Heaven is a place that is filled with people who stopped trusting in themselves and started trusting in Jesus. See, Jesus lived the moral life that we will never be able to live. And he chose to take his perfect life and give it up on the cross for you. And when you put your faith in Jesus, trusting what he did for you, his morality becomes your morality. Therefore freeing you from the wrath of God. So therefore let us start trusting in Jesus. Trusting in what he has done for us. Pray with me.